I had a vivid and disturbing dream when I was in graduate school. At the time, I had attended four different seminaries and graduate schools, and I had taught in three others. Each environment had its own theological correctness, and because I had studied in all different contexts, I was held in suspicion from both sides of the aisle. In some settings, women in ministry was a given, and in others, it was highly suspect. During my time as a doctoral student, I had a dream that I was the only female in a seminary stairwell of Orthodox Jewish men <laughs> with yarmulkes and side locks. Knowing any touch between unrelated men and women is forbidden, I watched these men move around me and avoiding not only me, but any eye contact at all. And that dream revealed something of my inner struggle with feeling like an outsider, the doubt of whether or not I was actually included in God's holy people. Are you like me in wondering at times if you fit in, if God is really for you and God has claimed you and God loves you? Because of human nature, I'm sure that we all have a story of feeling left out or excluded and it's an awful feeling. But if we're also really honest, sometimes we're the guys on the stairwell leaving others out. And this message is good news for all of us. There's another group in today's text, the Gentiles, that felt excluded in much the same way. And Peter's message in Acts 10 is radical because of his audience and the scene that took place just before our reading for today. So I want to fill you in on the backdrop of that story. Something wild just happened in Joppa. Jesus' bold disciple Peter is on the rooftop sleeping and has this vision that has him perplexed. At that very time, three men come to the house he's staying in because their master, a God-fearing Gentile and centurion, also had a vision in prayer and that was that he needed to bring a man named Peter lodging with the tanner in the house by the sea. Don't you love God's specificity? <laughs> Peter just had a dream of common and unclean animals in a blanket being lowered down from heaven with the instructions to kill and eat. This was highly offensive to Peter and to any observant Jew and it took him seeing it three times before he understood that God was trying to convince him something new was being asked of him. Peter was a purist, and he was so passionate about Jesus that he wanted to get things right. However, God had something else in store, and it took two visions happening together for him and Cornelius in order for Peter to understand the call. He is now called to preach the saving message of Jesus to the Gentiles. So imagine that we are now with those gathered in the centurion Cornelius' house, that God-fearing Gentile, along with all of his household, waiting to hear what it is that this Peter has to say. So as we think of that, we recognize all of a sudden Peter, just as we are called, is invited to God's expanding circle of inclusion, which surprises us and invites our participation. 
So let's look at this uh, text anew. Um, just as we step into it, I want to remind you that why this message is so radical. Before Jesus' ministry, the holy God that the Jewish people served said to them, you must be a people set apart. You must be different than other people. You may not intermarry or engage with others because you must remain pure in your heart of devotion to the one true God. In light of that, we see how radical this message was. Let's take a look at verse 34 through 36 again. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. And I'm going to pause there mid-sentence just to highlight a few of those words. There is no partiality, and another word for that is favoritism. There is no favoritism in every nation. He is Lord of all. What was once an exclusive view of God's intention for his people is now a mission expanded, not just for Jews and Gentiles, but even Roman soldiers. And they're all together with a new identity as Christ followers. Those other labels fall away. We even see this again in verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The veil has been torn between us and God, and now there's a new separations that are being folded in, that are being grafted into the larger story God is telling. We were reminded of Galatians 3 and the inclusion in that text where it says there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, all are one in Christ Jesus. This is expanded good news. When you think about it, it was radical. We usually think of history progressing because of power and exchanges of power. Someone takes power from someone else and someone loses it, and that's how history advances. But here, we have a very different story. There's a kingdom expanding and advancing, not with bloodshed and with force and armies, but because of the word spoken and preached, and the power of the Holy Spirit. It was, in essence, a bloodless revolution, although there were martyrs being sacrificed for the cause. Our story is that the power of God can win people over, not by the sword, but by grace and love, which overcome all other forms of power. And it took... God enlarging Peter's heart and giving him a vision for what he's calling for this day to happen, for the people in that household to receive the good news and for the gospel now to be distributed on a far wider scale. And we think about that change in Peter and it reminds me of thinking through who are the Gentiles to us? Who are those people that are different in how they speak or act or think? And who might God be nudging us to think more inclusively about in terms of how we share the good news? I know for me, following Jesus has often taken me into places that I'm uncomfortable. But it's in those very places that God so often does 
amazing and mighty things and also transforms me and transforms us in the process. So what is happening here in this story? The gospel is inviting new hearts and the gospel's inviting new identity. So what Peter does is when he lays out the gospel, he's preaching all about Jesus' life and his amazing ministry of signs and wonders. And we're told that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And that Jesus died on the cross, that he was resurrected, that we might know forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And there's something that's shifting in this text. We see that Peter starts to describe his role first as being among the disciples. And later we see a word repeated three times, and that's the word witnesses. So Peter and the disciples are becoming witnesses. They're testifying to this good news. They're going out and spreading the gospel. And so we are called likewise to be witnesses. Let's take a look at verses 44 through 46 to see how the Gentiles responded to the good news. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So what we see happening in this text is just like Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, so too for the Gentiles in this moment, the Holy Spirit is poured out. It falls upon them and they're expressing the gifts of the Spirit with loud praise and rejoicing. Quite a scene. Um, last weekend, some of you know I was away doing a wedding, and many of us here have friends at Temple Shalom, um, a couple of my dear friends that I've gotten to do ministry with here in Greenwich for the last 14 years um, are Rabbi Mitch and his wife, Roseanne Hurwitz. And it was about a year and a half ago that they told me their daughter was marrying a Christian, and they asked me if I would officiate their wedding. I was deeply honored by the request. So as I got there and I was getting ready, they said, well, you know, it would be appropriate for you to wear certain elements that are a part of our tradition. One is the tallest, and that's actually where we get our stole from. It's a prayer shawl um, that is a, a belief that we stand under the covering of God in prayer. So they said, why don't you wear the tallest, and you can wear a yarmulke. And I said, a yarmulke? I'm allowed to wear a yarmulke? I didn't know this. Um, but nonetheless, I wore the yarmulke, and we got through the wedding. They were successfully married at the end. And I had a few people from his congregation come up and say to me, you were a very good rabbi. <laughs> I was really taken aback a little bit. But then I thought, well, in light of whose disciple I am, Jesus, I can think of no better compliment. But then I also reflected back to this dream back in graduate school that I hadn't thought of for decades. And all of a sudden, I remembered being in that stairwell. And I just thought it was such a God wink um, that all of a sudden, I'm actually a Christian rabbi. <laughs> and, um, and I am included in the family of God. You are included. We are included in the family of God. So what's happening with the Gentiles and with us is that we are baptized into a new family. In verse 47, 
um, we hear, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Peter recognizes the Holy Spirit showing up. Things are happening. People are praising God. How could I withhold that membership card to these people that are so evidently in the family of God? So what is baptism, that important act? We've seen it today. Many of us may not remember our own if we had infant baptism, but we've seen others. We know that baptism is when we are sealed as Christ's own forever. We are adopted into a new family. That which is foreign is brought near and brought close, and we are now kin in the kingdom of God together, brothers and sisters. When I was reading this text, I thought back to a few of you that have met with Nathan and I over the last six months and have been talking about what it means to be people of color. And also, what does it mean for us as the church to bring healing into that conversation in our culture today? What might that look like? One of the gifts of that time together um, has been a lot of podcasts and reading material. And I got to hear an African-American minister named Brian Loritz do a podcast down at Liberty University. And it was one of those many things that helped me understand more about what I didn't know I didn't know. I want to share with you the text that he preached on, and, and I just heard the scripture differently. It's going to be up on the wall for us. It's Ephesians 2, verses 13, 14, and 16. And I'll read them to you. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus breaks down dividing walls of hostility. That certainly sounds like our text for today, doesn't it? One of the things Brian pointed out in this sermon was that not only does God break down the dividing wall of hostility between us and him, that veil being torn, which is our vertical reconciliation, but he does it horizontally as well so that we are reconciled to others. That which is foreign is brought close. Grace is inclusive, and we're called to be witnesses to this truth. There are many that God loves. We know in John 3.16, it tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's great news. That's news to witness to. One of my favorite worship moments recently was over at the Stanford campus. Everybody was praising God, and I looked around the room. It was one of those moments I felt I got a little vision of what God's seeing as he looks across the congregation. And I saw people who were um, dealing with addiction recovery, as well as people that were homeless that had come into the service. And they were standing beside or in front of a person I knew that was a CEO and other Wall Street executives. And I looked out at this scene and I thought, isn't this a picture of heaven? We're all coming to the same table. 
We're all worshiping God together. Whether we're those who have been excluded, or perhaps sometimes we've even been those who've excluded others, we are coming to this table together. And we come just like as we come to this table, just like we do when we get to heaven. In Revelation, we're told we are all invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we are the bride. So this table is an expression of God's reconciling love through Jesus to us, and Revelation tells us we are all invited as the Spirit and the bride say, come. Amen.